0: Welcome back to Murder Under the Midnight Sun. Thank you for joining me tonight. And I know that last time I said it was going to be my last recorded episode from Alaska, but this is actually the last, last one for real. I'm moving in a few days, so I wanted to get you guys another episode out before I go on my long journey to my new state. Tonight's episode is actually a re-recording of a previously released episode, but for many of you, it will likely be the first time that you've heard it because I last released it, I think a few years ago. As usual, this episode is brought to you by my kind and generous patrons. And I have a few new patrons to say thank you to tonight. Welcome Gail and Bria. Thanks you guys. And since it's the holiday season, all of my patrons will be receiving a Christmas care package from me around Christmas time. So if you sign up by the 20th, you will get in on that as well. I love sending those out every year, it's just fun. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's episode, which is another serial killer story. You know, despite being one of the least populous states, Alaska actually has the highest rate per capita of serial killings. Over the years, many serial killers have hunted the streets of Anchorage and Fairbanks and there have been multiple mass murders in towns throughout the state. Many of these incidents have been completely forgotten or glossed over through the years. And indeed, most people who think about Alaskan serial killers generally come up with either Robert Hansen or Israel Keyes. In this episode, I'll be discussing a serial killer that claimed the lives of five victims just a few years ago in 2016. And despite how recent the crimes were, This story was never quite as widespread as those of the previously mentioned murderers. One of the reasons that we have such a high incident of mass murder and serial killers is that Alaska is a state that often attracts those who may be running from their dark past and choose this huge, lowly populated state to get lost in. Many of the most highly publicized crimes that have taken place here have been perpetuated by outsiders, who then go on to become associated with the state. Both Keyes and Hansen were originally from out of state, and yet their names are forever linked to The Last Frontier. Tonight, I'll be discussing a homegrown killer who grew up and went to school here before going on to commit his awful crimes. By the end of summer 2016, the city of Anchorage was in a state of fear. There had been similar murders in less than two months, And four of these murders had been committed in pairs in local parks. All of the victims had been shot. It was like deja vu for Anchorage. Only four years prior, serial killer Israel Keyes had kidnapped and murdered Samantha Koenig in Anchorage. And it had only been nine years since serial killer Joshua Wade had committed the last of his many murders in Anchorage. And I did cover that story prior. As many residents began to suspect that there was a single predator out there, many became too terrified to venture into our wonderful park and bike trail system. Even though Anchorage is a medium-sized city, there are still large patches of forest all over town. There are over 200 parks covering nearly 11,000 acres with over 250 miles of wooded trails. Our parks are an institution and in the summer, the more popular parks are packed with people all day long, enjoying a wide variety of outdoor activities like bike riding, jogging, etc. The two double homicides were both committed near popular bike trails, which are frequented often by riders at all hours of the day, making use of the extended daylight hours in summer. In 2016, had experienced an unprecedented surge in homicides, with 34 by years in. This was nearly triple the number of homicides just two years prior in 2014, which was just 12. July was the deadliest month of the year with nine murders. And keep in mind, that's in a population of less than 400,000. And while the APD tried to reassure the public that these recent murders were more than likely tied into gang and drug activity, they still warned residents to stay away from local trails during the night. By early September, APD had gotten the FBI involved, and it became apparent to us true crime nerds that there was likely a link between many of the murders that had occurred. Throughout the entire year, there were three instances of double homicide, the first of which occurred in January of 2016, on the 28th. Early that cold morning, a dog walker found a deceased 19-year-old woman on a beach near a popular bike trail. Responding police found a mortally wounded 20-year-old man nearby who died at the hospital. They had both been shot. The location and MO were so similar to later murders that many local residents guessed they had all been done by the same person. However, many months later, a suspect would be charged for these two murders and they would turn out to be completely unrelated to the five committed over the summer the next occurred on july 3rd 2016 when the bodies of two people were found near a bike path called the ship creek trail they were later identified as brianna foise 20 and jason netter 41. brianna had experienced a rough childhood and had been in the foster care system before becoming an adult. She suffered from the effects of FAS and as an adult was battling a drug addiction. At the time of her death, she was living on the street, but was trying desperately to get her life back together. And she still saw her family members regularly. She was remembered for her very friendly nature and lovely singing voice. Jason Netter was a father of two. He had a long criminal record, including domestic violence and assault charges. He had been living on the street and was battling addiction as well. Police stated that the two were acquainted, but it was not specified how they knew each other. There was almost no evidence on the scene other than recovered bullet casings, which were determined to be from a 357 Colt Python. It's a gun that looks straight out of the Wild West, and is not exceptionally common. If you picture the gun that Rick carries on The Walking Dead, that'll give you a pretty good idea of what it looks like. Soon, there would be more murders linked to the same gun. On July 29th, at 3 a.m., police responded to calls regarding gunshots in an Eastside neighborhood. When they arrived, they found 21-year-old Travion Kendall Thompson laying on the ground. He had been shot several times and was pronounced dead at the scene. Trevion was a born and raised Alaskan. He loved spending time in the outdoors and playing computer games. He was close with his family and his mother described him as a big teddy bear. He was described by his cousin as being a huge nerd with a big heart. He had dreams of joining the army and possibly going to med school someday. At the time of his murder, Travion was riding his bike down the street to check on a relative's dog who was out of town, and he was shot right in front of their house. This time around, there were three witnesses to the shooting. Three teenage girls had been outside and saw a tall guy standing down the street. He kind of gave them the creep, so they went inside, and moments later, they heard at least four gunshots. They looked outside and saw Travion laying on the ground. The shooter grabbed his bike and rode off on it. It was later confirmed that the shooter took Travion's bike home and disposed of it later in an unknown location. There was also footage of the suspect on a nearby security camera. You can see him walk by, then a bit later he goes by in the other direction riding on Travion's bright yellow bike. One thing the footage helped the police with was determining the shooter's height. He was determined to be around six foot three. The witnesses met with a police sketch artist and were able to create a sketch they thought closely resembled the suspect. They also remembered he was wearing a camouflage jacket. They say that eyewitnesses are rarely accurate, but in this case, the young girls did a really good job. The sketch and the actual shooter look identical. After Travion's murder, cops were able to determine that the same gun had been used to kill Travion, Brianna, and Jason. At the time, they did not reveal this to the public for fear of the suspect getting rid of the weapon. Strangely enough, Travion would later be found to be the only victim with any sort of link to the suspect. At this point, the investigation was picking up speed with all this new evidence. Travion's mom didn't want to wait around, though. She took it upon herself to visit homeless camps in the area, looking for the suspect or people that may have seen something. She sounds like a really good mother. Travion's aunt had an odd moment not long after his death. A man who was staying in a house nearby walked by and offered her his condolences. And months later, when she saw the face of the man who killed her nephew, she realized it was the very same guy and there would only be one month before the next murders occurred on August 28th in a popular local park near downtown Anchorage. The bodies of two more people were discovered in the early morning hours. 34 year old Kevin Turner was originally from Dillingham. He had struggled with mental health problems as an adult. And at the time of his murder, he had been living in a tent near the park. The other individual discovered that morning was 25-year-old Bryant D. Hudson, who was found right on the bike path which runs along the side of the park. Bryant preferred to go by Bree and identified as Two-Spirit in gender and preferred to to be referred to with the pronoun they. Bree was a creative and loving person and was well known as being an activist for human rights and had been involved in the Anchorage Occupy movement. Based upon the evidence at the scene, police determined that the two were probably not there together. They guessed that Kevin had been shot while sitting in the park and that Bree had been shot from a long distance while biking past on the trail. The bodies were discovered around 2 a.m. by a passerby and they had not been dead for very long. Not long after the shooting, the police released a statement urging residents to stay away from parks, trails, and deserted streets after dark. At this point, they knew that there was a serial killer, but refused to make that information public. The FBI came up with a semi-profile of the possible killer. They said it was probably someone that was sort of on the fringes of society and may even be homeless since two of the shootings took place in parks where homeless people often hang out. The police had a few things to go on, but still weren't anywhere close to solving the case when a complete coincidence would bring the case to a quick end. In the early morning hours of November 12th, police officer Am Salau was called to a situation where someone had gotten a cab ride, then jumped out and refused to pay. As he was heading to the location, he drove up next to a tall man striding down the sidewalk. He had no idea if this could be the guy, but he was walking pretty fast, so Salau decided to ask him if he had seen anything. When he asked the guy to stop, he was completely ignored. The man just kept walking purposely forward until the officer pulled up and spoke to him over the loudspeaker. The man abruptly turned around walked to the cop and began shooting at him while he sat in his car. He shot him four times, but somehow officer Salau managed to get out and return fire and keep the man at bay until another cop showed up. The man died in the gunfire and the police officer Salau was rushed into emergency surgery and he thankfully made a full recovery. The man was identified as James Dale Ritchie, aged 40. At the time of his death, he was wearing a camouflage jacket and carrying a Colt Python 357. Ballistics would later determine that it was the same gun used in the five murders. The community was relieved, but also stunned. When Travion's dad Bobby saw the picture of the shooter and his name, he just about fell over That was his childhood best friend, who had basically been part of his family. He had held his kids when they were little. This man, he used to know so well, had been his son's murderer. It is unknown whether James knew who he was shooting at or not, but if not, that's an extremely bizarre coincidence, so I tend to think that he probably knew. Other people who knew James from back in the day were equally stunned. His younger years gave absolutely no indication of who he would grow up to be. In high school in Anchorage, he was an A student and popular athlete in both basketball and football. He played along both a future NFL player and a future NBA player. Possibly the weirdest part yet the year he was a popular senior known for his athletic skills and intelligence, there was a freshman at the same school who would grow up to be a cop, and that was Am Salau. James got 1200 on his SATs and went off to college in West Virginia. He decided to major in engineering. He was very smart, and he totally could have become an engineer. Unfortunately, his hopes for being a top athlete again were dashed. Now he was a little fish in a big pond and not long into college, he ended up dropping out. It was there that his life began to go off the rails over the next several years. He would go back and forth between Virginia and Alaska, get into drugs, fights, get involved with burglaries and drug dealing and all sorts of other small crimes. He did end up getting an associate's degree, but by early 2016, he was back in Anchorage and the murder started not long after. None of his friends could really believe that this quiet and intelligent guy could have done these murders. Even his friends from the street or who had been involved in criminal activities with him were extremely surprised but the evidence left no doubt as to his guilt. The only one that really seemed to have any inkling as to what he would become was his mother, who at a court hearing for him on one of his many crimes in the late nineties, described him as a time bomb ready to go off. But no one can seem to pinpoint what exactly pushed him over the edge. And unfortunately his secrets and motivations Died with him. One can speculate exactly about why he shot Officer Salau. He likely thought that he was getting questioned about something serious, or he had come onto the police radar. When in reality, his name had never come up in this investigation, and if it hadn't been for that chance encounter and Officer Salau's bravery. He might have continued killing for an indefinite amount of time, especially judging by how many people he killed in such a short period. Since it was determined that James Dale Ritchie was the Anchorage serial killer, the FBI has been investigating cold case homicides from other places he's lived to see if any can be tied to him, though I did not see whether anything has come out of this investigation or not yet. Thank you for listening to this episode. I know it was a little bit shorter than usual, but there's not a ton of information out there about this guy, and I wanted to get you guys an episode before I'm kind of super busy for the next few weeks. So I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good night.